0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi,
1: everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host, Tofio Griff Babies. And today's episode is all about pumping. I decided to do this episode because I was asking my postnatal students, what is a concern you're having right now? And hands down, everyone said pumping, whether it was because they were going back to work, maybe they were just going out for a little bit and they were away from baby. There was concerns about how often, how much milk they expected to get, what even pump to get, what kind do they need, a big one, a small one, what size equipment do they need? How do they keep it clean? So there was so many questions about pumping. Which... Totally honest with them is not my forte. Yes, I pumped when I fed my kids, but that was just my experience. So I reached out to Heather and Maureen. They are the hosts of the Milk Minute podcast. I did a podcast with them maybe six, seven months ago. So I'll make sure I have the link to that in the show notes. And they are so knowledgeable. Let me tell you a little bit about them. So Heather O'Neill and Maureen Farrell are midwives and lactation professionals, and their mission is to increase. Access to lactation education for all types of families, including partners, and acknowledging the importance of mental health and parenthood and improve body positivity. So, they have so much great information to offer about pumping that if you're thinking about you want to do this, maybe when you're a parent or you're in the midst of it right now, they're going to give you so much support and confidence that whatever your pumping needs are, whatever your pumping desires are, this conversation is going to give you just great practical information. And I am such the dork that way that I think practical information that's going to just help you settle into parenthood is really important. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this podcast. Before we get to that, just some things happening at PYC. So You can take a look at our on demand library because we've been starting to add even more courses to it. I think by this point, we probably have, I don't know, probably 12 to 15 courses you can take, anything from childbirth education to obviously prenatal yoga, restorative yoga, caring for your newborn, lactation prep, infant safety, CPR. There's so much we have on there that even though I love seeing you in class and in studio or online, I know that's not realistic for everyone's schedule. So you can check out our on-demand library to see all the goodies we have for you there. And then also, as I mentioned, we have our in-person classes. We have our online classes. Right now, we have nine in-person classes. Is at the studio. And every single day of the week, we have an online class. So however you want to come into the community, we welcome you with open arms. And then we also have been adding some more freebies to our offerings. So if you head to our website, prenatalyogacenter.com, you can look at the resources and the freebies and grab whatever downloadable you want. We have several things for you just to support you and invite you into the community. All right. I think that, oh, last thing. Oh my goodness. I always say this and I forget. I just want to touch base on teacher training. So it is something that I'm passionate about. We offer two in-person trainings a year and two online. And we also have once a year, we have an online postnatal teacher training. So if you want to work with the postpartum person and you want some extra guidance and support, so maybe someone has diastasis, what kind of poses are we leaning into? What maybe we want to modify? If someone has pelvic floor, pelvic organ prolapse. What might we want to be aware of? So if you're really curious about that population, check out our once a year online postnatal teacher training. And if you want to work more with the pregnant person, check out our online or in-person prenatal yoga teacher training. Okay. Now that really is enough for me. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, please enjoy this conversation with Heather and Maureen.
0: Hi, Heather. Hi,
2: Maureen. How are you? Hey, Deb. We're doing great. We're super excited to
3: be on your show today. Yes. Happy to be back. Thank you so much.
1: I know. I I was using the old show notes from our last podcast, which I'll make sure in the show notes. And I'm like, podcast two, this time it's pumping. So I'm really excited (laughs) to have a chance to dive back into the world of breastfeeding and pumping and really pick your brain. So before we jump into our conversation about pumping, some people may not have heard a little bit about you from our last conversation. So I'd love for the two of you just to tell me a little bit about yourselves and how you got into the world of lactation, as well as how you ended up working together.
2: Okay. Um, I'll go first. I'm Maureen and um, I'm a home birth midwife and a lactation counselor as well um, as a doula and an herbalist. Um, And I, weirdly enough, got started in this work through doing um, wilderness medicine and like teaching kids survival skills and kind of stumbled my way through some open doors <laughs> through like learning um herbalism as a really accessible uh, way to use medicine in the wilderness um into women's herbalism specifically and just was lucky enough to have a midwife as a teacher who was like, you know, um, I think you'd be really good at this. <laughs> and just sort of like shoved me down the birth and breastfeeding uh, rabbit hole there. And somehow I came out on the other side here. <laughs> Amazing. And, yeah.
3: Well, I'm Heather O'Neill and I am a certified nurse midwife. So I came from more of a hospital based background and I was lucky enough to mentor with A, another CNM who is also an IBCLC. So I had an interesting clinical experience because a lot of people would book lactation with her in addition to prenatals and doing birth and everything. And that's not typical, I wouldn't say for everybody. And I happened to get pregnant in the middle of my clinical. I don't recommend it, but <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I survived. And you know, even with everything that I was learning and, um, you know, this wasn't even my first time being pregnant. I really struggled with breastfeeding and I felt like I really didn't have Anywhere to go. And I didn't know who I could turn to for support. So I was like, I'll just become an IBCLC and I'll study for it while I'm pregnant.
1: Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Evening. That sounded intense. That sounds like it's probably a very intense experience.
3: <laughs> it, it was, but that's just me as a person, you yeah. know? I was just for the course for born <laughs> this way. Um, And actually that's kind of how Maureen and I met when I was eight months pregnant, we met at a conference because I was intensely looking Mm -hmm. for a physician to sign off on me to, uh, allow me to do prescriptions so I could (laughs) start my own practice. Yeah. And, and at these
2: big like perinatal conferences, the midwives sort of like huddle in a corner (laughs) of, uh, you know, uh, community, (laughs) uh, surrounded by OB-GYNs and, um, So we had dinner and, uh, me and all the other midwives, there were like, we are going to find you a collaborating physician. It is not a question. We will find it for you. And, um, yeah, then we just stuck together after that. And right in the middle of the first year of the pandemic, which sounds just terrible to say, cause what's your three now? (laughs) Um, so yeah, like June ish, I don't know, midsummer that year, we were like, holy cow, um, because of this COVID stuff, people are getting discharged from the hospital early, which is good and bad. And the bad thing about it is they're not getting any lactation support. Um, and they're also not doing in-person clinical, you know, meetings. And we're not seeing lactation, like, support at all in our state, which already has terrible breastfeeding numbers. So we decided, you know what, we just were mad and we have energy. So we're just going to start a podcast
3: to help people. Yep. And here you are. there's been many many iterations of our studio we started under my staircase at my house um the early episodes will have my husband's footsteps above us (laughs) or or like my baby (laughs) making noise or her baby (laughs) eating during the recording so you know we it's just been a journey come along with us
1: now, I totally understand. I remember my first several podcasts. I don't think I knew to, pl- Oh, actually I had a mic, but I didn't know I had to switch to something else. So here I had this mic and I'm like yelling at the computer and it's picking it up. So I totally hear you. It's been quite the journey. Well, I want to bring us back to our topic, which is pumping. And it was interesting as I was sitting, writing these questions, I started to think about my two experiences with breastfeeding, and I realized I had a really love-hate relationship with pumping. I found it necessary. I worked outside the home, and yet I also didn't like it that much. I felt it was a little, a lot of equipment to carry around. And even to the day, say, if I hear a certain sound that sounds like my old pump, I think it was called the Medela, I have like a little twitch. I'm like, ah, like a little experience there. So I think it's important to talk about this because when I asked my students, like, what do you want to, especially my postpartum students, they said they want to understand about pumping. And so here we are. So I guess I'm really curious about how pumpings changed over the years, because I can imagine even in my many years since I've been breastfeeding, I've seen how the pumps themselves change. So let's start with a little bit of how have they changed over the years? Well, we actually had the same question
3: and we did a whole episode on it. So it's episode 37, which is the history of breast pumps. So if you want to take a deep dive...
1: Oh, you I'll, can... I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, that's a great idea.
3: <laughs> can... Yeah, it's pretty funny. So we we go back to the good, the bad, and the ugly of breast pumps. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is the modern breast pump has not really changed very much since its mm-hmm. first uh, iteration. You know, it's... Um, Still a little bit clunky and the ones that are portable are not as effective. So a lot of times people are trading portability for suction power. Mm, right. Uh, and and the ones that work
2: the best, like the big hospital grade ones, um, they basically look the same as they did in like 1991 and 1981. They just have like a nicer package on the outside.
1: <laughs> they keep yeah. A little backpack to carry around. Them. Yes.
3: <laughs> yeah. But the other thing is the cost has changed, yes. I would say. So from the 90s on, we've been working really hard to try to make breast pumps more affordable. So we've had more insurance coverage for it. It's been an expectation that, um, you know, half the workforce being women needs a way to feed their babies while also, you know, continuing to pay taxes.
2: <laughs> yeah. And we definitely have big changes in the size of our pumps and the portability. Um, But unfortunately effectiveness has not necessarily caught up with those like aesthetic changes um, you know, a lot of the smaller pumps and the things you wear directly in your bra aren't as good as the other ones. Unfortunately,
1: oh, That is interesting. I didn't realize that those are the exact, I forgot what those are called. The ones that go straight in your bra, but yeah. I was, that's what I've kind of been astonished by. I'm like, cause I would put on this little nurse, like this little broth type of thing with little holes for the nipples and the, in the flange and stuff. And then the bottles just kind of Attached to the end, kind of just hanging off my boobs, and I remember sitting in the yoga studio many times, just pumping. And then I saw the ones that just go right in your bra. I'm like, wow, that is a very different feeling. I could imagine them being like, sure. I feel like like I'm being milked like a cow. So I'm, it's interesting to hear you say though, those are not as effective. Or they yeah. don't have the same suction, I'm guessing. That's what it right. is. say
2: this. They have more problems. They do. They have more problems. For some people, they are just as effective, and that's wonderful because obviously they're more convenient, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we do have problems in that adding something that large into your bra puts, like, pressure on your breasts, which doesn't, mm. like, help you make more milk. We might, a lot of them don't have as good suction. I mean, the motors are really teeny tiny in there. Um, we have more problems with like, if you don't put it together exactly perfectly, it doesn't work right. There's leaking. Of leak, so it's like a new game, new problems.
1: <laughs> okay. So that makes sense. So when someone is thinking about getting a pump, where should they start? What should they start to consider? Thinking about, do they need to be on the go, at home? Where should someone start when they're just thinking, all right, I know I'm going to need to pump?
3: Well, we usually start with finding out what your insurance will cover we like to send people to Aeroflow, but there's other companies like Edge Park and a few others that you can put your insurance information in and it'll give you a list of pumps that they cover 100%. I will say most of those are garbage. So most yes. of the time we have to end up paying a little bit more out of pocket to get a quality product that's actually going to be effective. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say is people need to stop thinking that they can find the one, one thing, the one pump that's going to help them with everything that mm-hmm. they need. We always recommend getting the workhorse first. So, the pump that's going to get blood from a rock, like the thing that's really going to get the milk out for you, no question about it, and make sure it's sized appropriately. And I know what Maureen's about to say because (laughs) I know her really well at this point. And it's probably something along the lines of, do you even need to pump? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's where I start, right? Is okay,
2: do you have to pump? And then, if the answer is yes, why are we pumping, right? because that's going to help us figure out what kind of pump will work best for you. Is your answer, oh, you know, I just want to pump when I'm like at the grocery store or like just a little bit, some outings away from baby, you know, in which case I might be like, oh yeah, one of those like completely hands-free in your bra pumps, that would be great. Doesn't matter if it's super effective because, you know, it's just now and then. But if you're like, I'm a teacher and i'm working 12 hours a day and i don't have good breaks i'm like cool we're getting you the most effective pump we can and also you might need a wearable one that you can wear during class even if it's not the best
1: that is really smart why do you need the pump and that will point in the direction of what kind of pump to get i'm guessing okay yeah
3: yeah, yeah. Right. and let me can yeah. i give a quick nod to our nurses because yes. Uh The shift Ugh. workers that are working 12 plus hours and it's they don't get breaks yet. and they are running to codes and they are they're literally physically mobile just all the time. Yeah. They need to really think about the wearable pump that they're using because a lot of them are extremely heavy because Mm -hmm. the vacuum is in the cup and the vacuum and the battery in the cup is what creates this weight. And so if you're already a large chested person and you're putting (laughs) basically a cantaloupe on top of a cantaloupe and then you're trying to run somewhere like that is not going to be comfortable. It's going to be messy. It's going to be not cool. So I usually recommend something a little bit lower profile, like the LV stride where the vacuum is in your pocket. Um, but, you know, so just something to think about as yeah. far as like what your lifestyle is like, um,
1: phone a friend. <laughs> All right. So I just want to break that down to a few things. So if someone that's more casual, they need maybe a more convenient or less powerful suction. Somebody that is gone from the house all day needs a more powerful one. But what about, so when I was breastfeeding, I had two pretty decent pumps. I think it was called the Medela in style. Again, I'm aging yeah, myself a little probably. here. And I had one at home and I kept one at the studio because I was there a lot. And even though I had also a little hand express one, I rarely use that. So will insurance companies cover two solid, like the the higher end pumps?
3: Maybe. Uh, they okay. won't, they probably won't cover two high-end pumps, but yeah. some of them do cover two pumps. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, it's in the fine print. You can always call your insurance company and ask if you and your partner both qualify for a pump. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is because of so many same-sex couples now and mm-hmm. induced lactation and they're trying to be more inclusive, which obviously is amazing. Um, or if they're starting to realize, you know, most people are actually needing two pumps to get through their breastfeeding journey. And also um, breast pumps are built to be disposable and yeah. the motors have a life on them. So if you are exclusively pumping, for example, and you never put your baby to breast, you are going to be using your pump quite a bit. And actually the life on that motor might be over by four to six months and you might wow. need a second pump. Yeah, so Especially if call. you're
2: getting a cheaper one. I mean, you know, it's like when you buy a car and they're like, this will go for a hundred thousand miles or something. You're like, great. And most of them will, some will go more, some will go less. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a motor just like any other. So you have to expect that it will have a life expectancy and that at a certain point it just might not work as well.
1: Well, that kind of answers my questions about like a, can you share a pump or do it take a hand-me-down? I'm guessing that's probably not a good idea besides the closed, oh, what was it called? Like the closed circuit. Yeah. Pump. Besides that, circuit. I'm guessing the pump's not going, the the motor is not going to last from person to person, depending on how long they used it.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing. How long did you use it and what pump is it? Right. If it's like a, a hospital modella Symphony, a hundred people can use that pump and it's fine. But if, you know, you got like the cheapest Medela that your insurance would cover and you exclusively pumped with it, probably nobody else can use that after you. But what happens with a lot of these buy, sell, trade groups is people are selling pumps that didn't work for them, right? Because we all have different bodies. Um, and so they'll be like, I used this for 20 hours. I used it for five hours. And in that case,
3: you know, we're probably looking at a motor that's just fine. Mm-hmm. And also some pumps actually have a sequence of buttons you can push on them that will tell you the amount of hours yeah. that have been used on it, like the Spectra, for example. And I can't tell you off the top of my head what it but is. Just Google different. it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and some of them have apps that track it, like my LVs and the Willows that I use. Both of them would tell you how many hours the pumps have been used.
1: All right. So people can do some homework about that. Mm -hmm. So that's the pump itself. But let's talk about some of the equipment, like the supportive equipment, (laughs) because I remember getting the pump, like opening it up and so excited. My friends got it for me. This is before insurance was covering it, at least my first. And I got it all clean and it hurt. And so we actually had a place two blocks away called, so I lived on the Upper West Side and this was called the Upper Breast Side. And it was a breastfeeding. (laughs) I know, didn't you learn? It was a breastfeeding. <laughs> um, boutique and they had breastfeeding classes and they had somebody always there. And so I show up, my baby you know, a few weeks old at this point, And I'm like, this hurts. And they looked at the flange size and they looked at my breast like, yeah, that's the wrong size. Now I would not have known that had I not checked over to the upper breast side. So how does someone know the right flange size? Sure.
2: Well, just a fun fact to start with. Um, most people get about 24 millimeter flanges with their pumps and we use 25 millimeter for cows. Um, and, and most of the time we're a human nipple is not the same size as a cow nipple. So, um, and the, you know, I recommend people measure the diameter of your nipple. So just straight across, you know, the part that sticks out from your areola and really you want your flange size to be as close to that as you can get It you know, it's hard to find every single size, but typically you'll find they come in like two to three millimeter increments. And you kind of just want to try like either sometimes your exact size or just the next size up, because you essentially want to get as close to pulling just the nipple without much areola in as
3: possible. Okay. And we think about this because the nipple can stretch up to 300%. But your whole breast can't stretch up to 300%. So at some point back on that tissue, we lose that elasticity. And if you're pulling too much tissue in that's really not meant to be, then you're stretching nerves and you end up with what's called vasospasms, which feel a lot like lightning bolts in the breast. You're like brushing your teeth and all of a sudden it's like lightning bolt in your boob. And you're like, Oh my God, and you, you push on <laughs> it. And you're like, just like that. what the heck? <laughs> um, so, and you know, that can take a long time to heal. That takes about, you know, our nerves heal about a millimeter a month. So even with the right flange size, you're still going to have some transitional pain, Um, during that time. But anyway, it's very important. You're right. It's incredibly important. You need to have a consult, uh, ideally prenatally, so you can have everything Mm -hmm. set up and ready. And I always recommend getting a pumping lubricant spray to do a spray in each flange. And this makes sense to me because baby's mouths are wet. Yes. So why would we not moisturize the flange?
1: Oh, I did not know that. That is, ah, yay. See, we're getting some really amazing things already. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I would just love to go a little bit of like a step-by-step for getting the most out of your pumping. Okay, we'll be right back. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered
0: here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here.
2: We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Dw, Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Okay, we are back. So someone is committed to pumping. How do they even start? So they got their pump. They figured out their flange size. What else do they need to do to set themselves up for success and get the most out of their pumping?
2: Okay, so let's assume we picked a good pump. Everything we everything is right. Um I like to tell people, think of the first couple times like a trial run, if you can, if you're like otherwise breastfeeding your baby and this isn't like a high stakes exclusive pumping situation, because you need to get to know the settings on your individual pump because nobody could make it easy for us. Every pump has different buttons and different speeds and different modes. So we're going to look at the manual and actually read it, which I never do. (laughs) <laughs> I, I jump in and then I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Go back and read the manual. Um, but typically pumps are going to have two main modes of suction. One is really fast and one is slower. And we're going to use the really fast one, which is often called like massage mode to get a letdown to happen. Right. And those are fast, light suction. So we're going to try starting with that for a few minutes. When you see, ideally you have a pump where you can see the milk. When you see your letdown start to happen, you can switch to a slightly stronger and slower suction. And we're going to try that out for about
3: 15 minutes, double pumping, and see how that goes. Well, quick disclaimer, because... Some people will dump a lot of milk out in mm-hmm. about five minutes. Right. You just don't know what kind of person you are. So a lot of times we have people say, I pumped for 30 minutes and like it was still spraying after. And I'm like, well, how much did you get? And they're like, 15 ounces. Like, oh, wow. And I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, you're done. You're done. Turn it off. So time doesn't necessarily equal volume. Yeah. Just like when a baby is nursing at a breast, time does not equal volume. Can you over so,
1: Like that person that got yes, 15. Yes. Okay. I can you explain
3: that a little. Okay. Yeah, so um let exclusively pumping would be probably the easiest example. Sure. So, if you're exclusively pumping to bottle feed your baby, we are trying to hit a target that is what your baby would eat or slightly over, but not double. You're just feeding the one baby you have. You're not feeding the whole neighborhood of babies. So a baby eats around like 25-ish ounces a day, 25 to 30, I would say, on average. So you want to be pumping ideally eight to 10 times a day, because that's about what your baby would feed. And you want to be pumping about 25 to 30 ounces a day. And so a lot of times we have more milk in the morning. So somebody Mm -hmm. will pump like eight ounces their first pump and you're like, whoa, that's a lot. But then as the day goes on, they kind of dwindle down. So now it's like five and then they pump four and then they pump three of a day, which is normal. So just kind of keep an eye on your total volume in a 24 hour period. You do not want to be pumping double because when you get Into a oversupply, also called hyperlactation, you're really setting yourself up for inflammation in your ducts, which causes plugged
1: ducts and mastitis. Yeah. Oh, I know plugged ducts. I remember that, and it was (laughs) to this day I shudder at it because I remember the pain and thinking, "Will this ever?" and it did eventually but it was
2: yeah you want to avoid that when possible so you know that's kind of why i say think of your first pump as an experiment because you might pump and in five minutes be done you've got four ounces and that's it and you didn't need any of the extras and great i'm so happy for you um but you might pump for 20 minutes and be like i got one ounce i'm disappointed And then we can move from there and say, okay, so maybe we need to adjust the settings. Why don't you play with those a little bit during your next pump? We can do some warm compresses while you're pumping. We can do some massage, um, like very, we kind of, it's like light lymphatic massage is going to be the best or some gentle breast compression during your letdowns. Um, and sometimes even those vibrators, um, those little, I don't know, they call them breast massagers. They're just little vibrators, (laughs) but, uh, those can work really well because for some people, our bodies just don't love feeding a pump, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's not, you don't get the same
1: oxytocin (laughs) as looking at your baby and having like the little cuddly time with baby.
2: Exactly. And we don't get the same kind of breast stimulation from a hard plastic flange that does, you know, a very limited type of suction. And for a lot of people, I think that tongue movement from baby is really important to stimulate their letdown. So, you know, we're just like, cool, this is not the ideal situation. And we're going to have to do a little bit extra to
1: help you out. I remember massage being incredibly helpful. Will you talk a little bit more about that? Because I thought it was actually once somebody introduced that to me, that felt like a game changer for when I felt like I wasn't getting that much.
3: Well, pumping is supposed to simulate breastfeeding. You know, Your pump is basically acting as your baby. And massage is something that helps even with breastfeeding. So if you're nursing your baby, for example, and they start to slow down and fall asleep, we can reach over and do a breast compression and gently squeeze and kind of reactivate the baby to help them finish removing the milk. And we can do the same thing with the pump. And this works because our ducts, our breast milk ducts are like spokes on a wheel around our breast and some of them you might notice are more full than others or you know they're not necessarily even spokes so some people might have a lot on the outer quadrant of their breast and only like one on the inside and both your breasts might be different so you mm-hmm. might have one breast that has <laughs> 25 ducts and one that has 3 <laughs> And so you might have to actually put some gentle pressure on one of the fuller ducts and kind of lean into that flange a little bit to isolate the suction to help remove that duct's mm-hmm. milk a little bit more. Um, So it's just really getting to know your body. And I think the big barrier there is that none of us really touch our breasts at all until we are faced with a mewling infant or a situation with full boobs and, and a pump that we don't know how to use.
2: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, It's helpful for some people to do this prior to pumping um, where we do, it's almost like you're doing a self-breast exam. The kind of massage you do, you know, you start at the outside with gentle pressure towards the nipple. You can do a little bit of nipple stimulation, um, even a little bit of stretching the nipple because that particular movement triggers more oxytocin you know, prior to pumping. And then while you're pumping, you can do more of that gentle compression and that, you know, gentle massage. Like usually we are going like from the armpit toward the areola, from the chest toward the areola, things like that.
1: That makes a lot of sense. All right, let's also talk about letdown because that I'm, I remember being different when pumping and then with the baby. And the one thing I do remember about the pump is if I felt like I needed more, I could press the button again, it would do that same kind of... <laughs> <laughs> again, I will totally say as a little bonkers about like, am I getting enough? So that could have been my paranoia um or anxiety, but is that, <laughs> is that a good idea, a bad idea to press that let down button again? And how does it differ?
3: Um, So it kind of depends on your body and how much you've already achieved in a 24 hour period. So if you're a person that, you know, has one milk ejection reflex, otherwise known as a let down, and I hate that word because it's so negative, but <laughs> um you've had, you have one stimulation, milk ejection reflex followed by three ounces you get with expression mode and that's working for you, you don't need to hit the button. You don't need to be overstimulating. But if you are at work, for example, and you typically have no problem getting a milk ejection reflex, but it's been a particularly stressful day and you can't stop thinking about the fight you had with your partner that morning and you cannot get your milk to let down or release then you might need to hang out on stimulation mode a little bit longer mm-hmm. to try to get that milk to release. Or you may have to hit that button again to kind of get it all out after you've already gone through one whole cycle of stimulation and expression.
2: Right. And and here's the thing about a letdown.
3: It is controlled mostly by oxytocin.
2: Um, so it's very sensitive to how you feel. Um, And most of us don't feel great at work, you know, if we're pumping and we're away from baby. And uh, I think of this a lot like inducing contractions when we're having a baby. We need oxytocin to trigger those muscle contractions. Well, our milk ducts and our alveoli are surrounded by these little muscle cells and they contract when they get oxytocin and that is what shoots the milk out. Um, So suction is great. But what really gets most of the milk out is those little muscle contractions. And those don't happen when we don't have enough oxytocin. So, you know, if you're having a rough day or you just don't respond super well to your pump, you can kind of like hack your letdown a little bit by helping yourself just generally feel happier and more relaxed, right? You can watch a video of your baby. You can do some meditation, guided visualization. You can listen to ASMR videos, you know, like whatever floats your boat whatever just makes you feel relaxed and calm and happy is going to help with that letdown.
1: That is really, really good advice, as well as keeping in mind that what if it's a late at night, like maybe baby's already gone to sleep and you get home from work. I'm speaking from my own life in the past. Um, and <laughs> you don't have as much, just recognizing, yes, at night, you're not going to have as much as in the morning. So I think the perspective that you offered about the expectation of different amounts of milk per pump is really helpful for people to remember. So, thank you for that. All right. So you know me, I'm all about my lists here. So I have more lists on my questions. So we, we talked a little bit about this, but I'm curious if you mentioned some pumps, like the ones that you can wear in your bra. Do you have a suggestion of if someone is just going out and about and they just need a, a simple pump for heading out for a couple hours or something?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with like cheap and effective for that. Right. Cause you don't need a $500 pump if you're just like going out for a Starbucks. Um, most people really love the mom cozy or the mom cozy knockoffs, which there are a zillion of, but they don't have a lot of suction options, but they're pretty strong. They have a big collection cup. Um, you know, they don't have the longest battery life, but they're also like a hundred bucks for a pair of them. So you know, if we're using them part-time now and then, and you know, what I think of is like, is there going to be a big consequence if you're not effectively re- removing milk in that time period? If it's like two hours every other day, no, it's fine, right? You just kind of <laughs> need to remove milk for comfort till you get home. Um, so that's a great pump for that. It works pretty well for most people. It's not that expensive. It's portable. You know, she's loud. You know, you know, you're wearing her <laughs> for
1: that one. It's not
3: super discreet,
1: but like, you know, who cares? One of my students had one and I should remember the name. And it was just like, it had the bottle attached to the flange and it was by suction. So she squeezed it, the air out, put it on her nipple, released into kind of like suck. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was the coolest (laughs) thing. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, We love those. So
2: these are less of an active pump and more for collecting like a passive letdown, Um, Some people can use them to like actively pump, but they're just not super stimulating. But the best use for them is when you're feeding baby on one side to put one on the other side. You know, you squeeze it, have a little suction, and usually just that little bit of suction while baby's feeding on the other side gets you like an ounce of milk, you know. And that's awesome because if you throw that on there, you know, a couple feeds a day with baby, you have a whole meal of milk sitting there. Yeah. And keyword,
3: a couple a day. Do not use it eight (laughs) times a day if you get an ounce every single time or more, because then you're going to have eight ounces over what baby is eating, and that could be pushing your body into more of an oversupply. So I try to limit people to like four ounces a day on top of it, yeah, on top of what baby eats, because you should be able to stop doing it at any point in time and not feel the effects of it. Yeah. I think that's a good amount. Like when I was doing that with my last baby,
2: if I I stopped myself at five ounces, I usually got two or three, which was great. Um, And it's just such a low stress way to put a little bit of milk away. And I know pretty much everybody feels better with like 10 or 12 ounces in the freezer. So.
1: Well, that was my next question. So what about really stockpiling milk for when someone goes back to work? Because I ended up having so much, we had to borrow my friend's freezer. Yeah. yeah. We, we, love y'all we, we love you because
3: we love you. We love you, bless your hearts, and we like to pair you with people that have milk supply issues yes. so you can donate to them. <laughs> but we do not recommend that people aim to be that person because it takes a toll on your body and yeah. financially. You have, I mean, time is money, first of all. I mean, I know people who buy brand new, like, thousand
2: dollar freezers for their milk supply. No doubt.
1: Yeah. Okay. I did not do them. I happened to have <laughs> a single friend and the only thing in her freezer at this time was, um, she had my breast milk. She had <laughs> beer mugs and then she had these rings that came, I don't know, was some sort of birth control and it came with freezer packs. New <laughs> ring? Was it was a new ring. And yes. so that what was it was in her freezer. And she said whenever she had a, a a gentleman caller over and you would look in there like you need to explain this.
3: oh my gosh a, if a gentleman caller doesn't understand breast milk beer mugs and never rings yeah. he's not worth dying.
1: but she was like housing my breast milk so That's i think she- i love that i love that
2: she's a good friend she was but you know friend. so For going back to work, the minimum you need is one workday's worth of milk. And I know that that doesn't make people feel like super confident because there's a lot of like, what if I don't pump enough? What if I have to supplement? And I get that. But most of the time, that's all you need. And that looks like 10 or 12 ounces. Now, most people want a little more. That's okay. Okay you know, if you have like 20 or 30 ounces, you have a couple days of milk in there. So you have a little bit of wiggle room in case the first day you go back, you only pump like six ounces because you're super stressed out or you didn't get the breaks you needed. And that's fine. Um, but most people don't need their giant freezer stashes. Now, every time I say that, I get a ton of pushback. And some people are like, well, I randomly dried up at nine months and I needed it. And I get that. Things happen that we cannot predict. And I just want us to allow ourselves to not prepare for every single possible situation.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. That makes sense. But let's talk about that low supply, or maybe perceived. I'm going to say perceived low supply because I can I think I'm revealing a lot about myself that <laughs> I I perceived my supply dropping for both kids around seven, eight months, and I got a little. Anxious about that, my friend, who's an IB She's like, "Well, your kids are eating solids. You know, that's what's going to happen." So, for those that either have low supply or perceive low supply, how is pumping going to help?
3: Um, well, pumping is going to help you keep that stimulation going when your baby is mobile and doesn't want to spend more than one minute sucking on your nipple (laughs) and wants to just keep going. So we run into this situation a lot where we have really distracted older babies that are nursing and they literally cannot focus to eat, but we don't you know, the thing is we don't have a lot of research on how much those kids are actually transferring. And I think the reason why people get so upset is because they start to see their milk supply go down, their baby's super distracted, but they're eating solids. So they Google how much breast milk should my seven month old get? And it still says 25 to 30 ounces a day. And they're like, Oh my God, I'm not making that. And it's like, okay, but look at your kid. Are -hmm. they fine? Are they growing normally? Are they happy? Are they sleeping? Like, are they urinating? <laughs> yeah. You know, so we have to take it almost on a week by week basis at that point. And if you need to boost your supply and you really are confident, you're like, nope, this, something's wrong with this kid. This kid is up all night long, making up for the lost time that they didn't nurse during the day. And you need to kind of like turn it back around. Then you can use the pump to get in some extra milk expressions to stimulate it mechanically.
2: Mm-hmm. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of the time, you know, on the other hand, when we see either a uh, real low supply or perceived low supply in like the first month or two, right? Um, often we have babies who are not awesome at nursing yet. You know, maybe they have some oral restrictions. Maybe they're tired because they're jaundiced, things like that. And in that case, we can use a pump as a more effective way to remove milk mm. while we help baby become stronger and more alert and better able to remove milk. So we're kind of like using it like a stopgap measure to maintain our milk supply while baby's catching up. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the problems we do see when people, their supply issue is really a confidence issue, which I mean, that's kind of all of us at some point. Um, pumping can become like an anxiety compulsion, mm-hmm. you know, if they're like, okay, well I don't make enough milk, so I have to store a little bit extra. And, and every time I put a bag of milk in the freezer, like that feels better. Maybe that's the only thing that feels good in the depths of postpartum anxiety and, you know, being alone at home with a two month old. And, and in that case, we really need to make sure like we're checking in with friends and family, checking in with an LC if we've got one and really figuring out like, are we pumping as part of a mental health issue? Are we pumping because we need to and that's helpful for our baby and our body? Like what's going on there?
1: That's really helpful. So I also wanted to ask about, I had one of my students, she was talking about her supply and pumping, which is again, how part of this whole conversation was started. And I said, have you seen an IBCLC? And she was under the perception that they would only help with actual breastfeeding. They weren't going to help with pumping. And I said, I think that they do it all. Can you speak a little bit to the role an IBCLC can play in helping someone initiate a good pumping routine or at least get comfortable? With that? Yeah, here we go. Are you ready? Yeah.
3: IBCLCs have jobs because of breast pumps. <laughs> Think about that for a second. If you are direct breastfeeding, you're two day old, and it didn't go well back in the day before a breast pump was around, what did you do? did you have time to call an IBCLC? Did they even exist? Or you just called your grandma or you just called the local midwife and they would help you troubleshoot breastfeeding. IBCLCs specialize in helping you breastfeed a baby in a way that works for you in your lifestyle. And thanks to the breast pump, we now have options. Yeah. And we have ways of getting ahead of issues and going through a patient intake and alerting the patient to possible pink flags, not necessarily red flags, but like, hey, you don't have any support. You're a single mom, you know, and that's fine. But here's some things that we might want to think about. Um, or, hey, you're a partner at a law firm and you work 75 hours a week. So it might be worth it to you to spend a thousand dollars in pumps and equipment and milk storage stuff. Um, to make yourself feel good about what you're doing. Like it's not a hassle as much um, and make sure you have what you need. Uh, so yeah, that's what, that's our jam. That's what we love to do. And also just, yeah, we can definitely get in there and troubleshoot breastfeeding issues. That's also our thing, but more than anything, we want you to be able to feed your baby in a way that works for you because we love babies, but we love moms.
1: Yeah. I think it's a misconception for some people that they think of an IBCLC and it's just breastfeeding. And I said, well, at least the IBCLCs I know will help with pumping as well, but it's, I think it's not fully understood or maybe it's just a common misconception.
2: Yeah. um, And I I think like everybody's going to have slightly different training and slightly different specialties, you know, but so it's always it's always OK to ask and be like, hey, like, can you help me with this? Um And a lot of IBCLCs can help you figure out um combo feeding with formula, too, and how to manage that, like, you know,
1: all across the board. They just want that baby fed. All right. So let's yeah. talk about the pump and the accessories again. <laughs> I also remember, at least with my, my pump, there's this little white flap that sometimes I would forget or <laughs> it would rip yes. and I would be, my yoga studio happened to be a couple blocks from upper breast side. So there were many times I was like setting the test staff to run across Broadway and buy me a new little package. So can you talk about how to maintain <laughs> a pump and the accessories? Cause I actually found that very stressful.
2: Yes. And I know that part you're talking about on the Medela, the old Medela pump and style advance, that little white membrane, yes. which I feel like I could just look at it and it rips.
1: it was awful. Yeah.
2: So every, but you know, not getting into each pump individually in general, our pumps probably have tubes. They have hard plastic parts and they have soft silicone parts. Some of them have membranes, duck bills, or backflow protectors. And as a rule of thumb, the softer parts wear out first. Um, So those who are exclusively pumping or pumping a lot for work are going to find themselves on a possibly two to four-week schedule of replacing those very soft silicone parts. Um, Those who are just pumping every once in a while, it might be every couple months that they replace those. Um, In general, before you pump, assuming you have time and you're not like, you know, ripping your shirt off, running into your office and looking at your 12 minute break. <laughs> but in general, if you have time, when you lay out all your pop parts, I want you to look over them just, you know, briefly and make sure there's no cracks in the hard plastic pieces. Make sure the silicone pieces are not ripped or really stretched out. Um, and make sure your tubes actually stay firmly on the places they're supposed to stay firmly on. Um, And that's going to help you gauge like what shape your equipment is in. And you might notice like, ooh, this little deck bill is fitting a little loosely. Like
3: I should add that to my Amazon cart and just replace that before it's a problem. And some insurance companies will actually replace your pumps uh, replace your pump parts every three months. Mm. So the company that I mentioned before, Aeroflow, will actually shoot you a text message and say, Hey, did you know that your insurance will cover new pump yeah. parts? Type yes and we'll send them to you. And you type yes and then they show up at your door, which is nice because you know, three months, three months goes by in a blink of an eye postpartum. Yeah. And you know, what I did is I
2: bought extra parts for my pump when I bought the pump because I knew I wouldn't like, two-day shipping and Amazon for me is like seven-day shipping because I live in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, this is not going to happen in a flash if I needed to. Walmart does not have this stuff. I'd have to drive like an hour and a half to Target to get it. So I got extra deck bills, extra tubes, extra backflow protectors. I just basically bought a second set of everything. Um, And then when I replaced it, I would buy another one just to have it on hand. Not everyone's going to do that, and that's fine, but just know that those soft, squishy parts are going to need to be replaced at some point.
1: And what about the best way to clean everything?
3: Well, (laughs) I I personally like to have a big soapy bucket of uh, water you know, dish soap and water, and you just chuck them all in there and let them soak and then make your husband do it or your partner.
2: <laughs> I, I make your partner do it is also my preferred way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and tell them how to do it. So if you're hand washing like the so some pumps specifically say you cannot put them in a washing machine, a dishwasher. Some, some people do it anyway. Um, and usually it's fine. The soft um, squishy parts don't put in the dishwasher because they can't handle high heat. Um, I don't have a dishwasher because I have a tiny kitchen. So if you're hand washing in a sink, like I did just use a basin, not the, not the regular sink because it has bacteria and it's gross. No matter how much you clean it, use a clean basin, wash in there and just lay them out to dry. After you rinse them, you do not have to be sterilizing them every time. And it doesn't really take too long.
1: Perfect. All right. I love that because I've had students be like, I'm sterilizing every time. Like that is a lot of effort and that is a lot. of." And I thought the heat wouldn't be good to sterilize them. Like, and I know that you can buy little sterilizers for like, it looks like a little, I don't remember how to explain it. Anyway, you can buy a sterilizer, uh, kit and it just seemed like a lot of effort so yeah, i did yeah. the basin like a big bowl throw it soapy water let it soak for a bit rinse it out and then just spread it around i had a little holder for everything that it yeah. just stayed on all right yeah so that's unless, good
2: unless babies in the NICU you don't need to sterilize basically ever um if you are washing in hot soapy water that is clean
3: and actually, the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine's new yeah. protocol for mastitis and plug ducts actually cites over-sterilizing as potentially part of the causes of dysbiosis in the breast that leads to more inflammation. So, Ew. you know, don't kill all the good bugs. Don't leave the super bugs, you know, stuff like that. <laughs>
1: Oh, this has been such fantastic information. I love practical information. All right. We're going to take, is there, first of all, let me, before I take another break, is there anything that I haven't asked that you're thinking, okay, I have to just share this about breastfeeding or sorry about pumping?
2: Hmm. I mean, I think maybe we could touch on like a pumping schedule. Sure. Let's do
1: it. Let's talk pumping schedule.
2: Yeah. Um, you want to do that right now? You can do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I get the question a lot. That is, uh, how often should I pump I'm at work? And when you Google it, it's going to say every two to three hours. Um, some people come back and they're like, that's simply not possible at my job. And other people are like, okay, I'm going to do that. And then they've pumped like 30 ounces of milk at work or some people do that and they come back with like five ounces. So, um, You know, if you are one of those people who pumps a lot of milk at one time, you can space your pumps out more because we're not necessarily looking at how often and how long you pump as the determinant here. We're looking at the volume, right? Because the goal is to replace what baby ate. Most babies are going to eat around one to one and a half ounces per hour that you're away, right? So you have a 10-hour workday. We're aiming for like 12 ounces of milk. If you pump six ounces in your first pump, you don't need to be pumping every two to three hours. (laughs) Um, You can pump twice while you're at work. If you pump one ounce every time you pump, we might need to be looking at having you pump more often or maybe turning one of those into a power pump, you know, with something that you can wear discreetly while you're working.
1: That is interesting because I always heard it was... So the way I was thinking, is was like, okay, baby eats every two to three hours, pump every two to three hours. But what you're saying is actually a little more liberating of it's not how often, it's how much.
3: Yeah. It's basically how much are you able to lug around at one time? Yeah. Because pressure <laughs> is the death of milk cells. So if your breasts are feeling internal pressure at four ounces, then milk-making cells are dying. But if you don't feel that internal pressure until you're holding 12 ounces, then you're just able to hold a lot more without having any effect on your supply. Oh,
1: that is so liberating. Okay, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you would each like to offer new and expectant parents? We will be right back. Okay. We are back. And between the two of you, you've got a lot of collective knowledge. So so each of you, so Heather, Maureen, whoever wants to go first, one final tip or piece of advice.
3: Okay. Me first before she takes mine. <laughs> so my tip is to please establish lactation care prenatally if you can. Um, Having somebody actually assess your breasts and fit you for the right flange size and walk you through which pump would be correct for you for your life would be so helpful. And that way you actually have somebody that's familiar with that equipment, who knows you, who knows your pink flags that might be coming up that can help walk you through whatever is coming your way to make sure you can get to the goals that you have for feeding your baby. Heather, you did take mine. <laughs>
2: okay, I have another.
1: <laughs> All right, Maureen, what do you have, what do you have for us?
2: Um, I would, I, I tell everybody to basically plan for, to not know what you're doing for at least the first eight weeks. Mm. <laughs> and in general, everything with your baby, breastfeeding, changing diapers, sleep schedules, the first two months are usually chaos. And if we set our expectations to that level, it is much easier to adapt to difficult situations if you're expecting them to happen. I think a lot of people expect to get it after two weeks, expect their babies to start sleeping at night after that period of time, things like that. And, you know the first two months are Drop rough that bar. Drop yeah. <laughs>
1: that yeah. bar of Just expectations. Make it to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Just try to stay conscious and functioning as best you can. Exactly. Everyone alive. <laughs> that is the, That is the bar. Oh, this has been so great. All right. Where can people find your work?
3: Well, we have a website. You can go to milkminutepodcast.com or you could find us on all of our socials, TikTok and Instagram at milk underscore minute underscore podcast. Or if you'd like to become an insider and see all of the behind the scenes stuff about our podcast, you can join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash milkminutepodcast.
1: I will have all that in our show notes. Well, as always, it is such a pleasure to speak with you both. It's really, you have such great information and I appreciate the way in which you also relay the information. There is just kind of a, a lightness to it, not an urgency. And and I think it's easier to digest when it doesn't feel so heavy. So thank you for all the work you do and the way in which you share it.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much, Deb. We're really happy to speak to you today. Yeah. Anytime. Thank
3: you.
1: This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.
0: Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price, and help you save when you bundle home and auto.